This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sweden. Throughout this pandemic, it's the one country that's done things differently. Last spring, as scientists scurried to understand the virus and governments did their best to control it, we watched a wave of countries across the world, like slow-falling dominoes, going into lockdown one by one. But as the rest of Europe emptied the streets and battened down the hatches, Sweden was the exception. While much of the world is locking down in efforts to contain the spread of the virus, not all the countries are taking the same approach. In Sweden, life is just a little quieter than normal. Many businesses and schools are open. They issued some advice, put in place a few restrictions. But apart from that, life carried on more or less as normal. It's been held up as a paragon by libertarians all over the world. And now, a year on, we have enough data to see how Sweden actually did. Was their approach a success? Or did it cost too many lives? We're used to, you know, being top of the class when it comes to health issues. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the curious case of Sweden revisited. Back in April last year, on this podcast, I spoke to Louise Callahan, the Sunday Times Middle East correspondent. At the time, she was isolating on the west coast of her native Sweden. And of course, it's strange talking to friends in London who are under lockdown. You know, they're saying, oh, I've barely left the house for weeks. It's enormously different to, uh, say, the UK. If you look at almost all polls done uh, of Swedish people, you'll see that they trust the government's approach. But 12 months on, does that trust remain? Meet one of Sweden's top radio journalists. My name is Daniel Ehrman. I'm a Swedish investigative reporter. I work for the Swedish public radios. It's like the equivalent of BBC in Sweden. Earlier this month, Daniel and his colleague Maria Riddestedt broadcast a report looking at whether the public health agency in Sweden had underplayed the risk of a second wave of the virus. So at what point did Daniel believe the Swedish experiment had begun to unravel. If I would pick one moment, it would be a Friday night in December last year. Me and my girlfriend was actually in the city this evening. She's pregnant, uh, we're getting hungry, uh, and we are walking back and we'll say, maybe we could still go out to a restaurant. This is at nearly the peak of the second wave. We're closing in on the second wave, but restaurants are still open till 
10 uh, at night in Stockholm. Wow. But I thought they'd be quite empty. I haven't been in the city for a while, so I thought it'd probably be safe. And we start walking home past all these restaurants and they're all crowded. They're completely crowded. Of course, the tables are a bit uh, more separated than normally. Yeah, but this is in the middle of the second wave when people are catching the virus a lot. Almost as high as they, they were during the spring. Wow. And uh, so, so we walk past all these restaurants and uh, we realize we're not going to find any place to eat until we find this really expensive restaurant. And we walk in and they, they actually have a table in, in sort of a hallway <laughs> next to a closed bar. That sort of made me think that if we're not able to behave or take precautions with these voluntary recommendations at the peak of a wave, it's not going to work. Because so much of the Swedish approach did seem to rely on people behaving in a particular way. Take us back to last spring, just as the pandemic spread and the world was rapidly going into lockdown. What was Sweden's approach? So in the beginning, I think most Swedes were thinking that other countries were mad and we were doing the right thing because we didn't close down. We said that you have to keep your distance. There were recommendations in place, work from home and so on. People thought this was uh, actually the right approach. And also from the authorities, from the public health agency, they said that if we let this disease spread at a controlled stage, we might have a sort of herd immunity at the end and we would not have so many deaths. I think most people were pleased with the Swedish strategy in the beginning, but then people started to die. We were supposed to protect the elderly, but it turned out it was really, really hard to keep the virus from getting into the homes for elderly. And they started to die in high numbers. The number of deaths were getting high, really high, like one of the highest in, in Europe. Not as bad as in UK, actually, but nearly. Mm. Also, it turned out that the disease didn't spread as fast as they thought. So we were not getting this sort of herd immunity at all. So it was pretty clear at the end of the spring that that is not the way it's going to go. And I also think that the public agencies thought that, oh no, this is not what's going to happen. We're not going to have a herd immunity strategy. Even if the rest of, of the world sort of thought that we still relied on this sort of strategy, we didn't mm. anymore. That's so interesting. So actually the, the Swedish model wasn't the model we thought it was. <laughs> they hoped for a herd immunity, but that wasn't the strategy. The strategy was to keep uh, the disease at a low level so the healthcare system would work, but not to have all these really tough effects on the rest of society. For instance, we didn't close down schools uh, except for high schools and so on. And what did Swedish people make of this? I mean, given how the rest of the world and even their nearest neighbours were responding, everybody else was going into lockdown. How did they feel about being allowed to carry on? <laughs> I think it depends very much on who you ask. And so during this pandemic, it's been uh, increasingly polarised between the people that think that, you know, real support to agencies really think that it's so lucky we don't have to go through the experience of other countries where you can't hardly go outside without some people think that that is overreacting. On the other hand, we have the people sort of accusing the authorities of murder. You are deliberately letting this disease spread and killing our old. It's the whole spectrum, I would say. What's the situation like in Sweden at the moment? It's both bad and not so bad. You know, we are, again, not in sync with most other countries in Europe. We're at the peak 
of the third wave or maybe just past it. We're not having a higher amount of cases than the second wave, but nearly as high. We have more ICU admissions than the second wave, but the number of deaths are still low and I, they might go up a little bit because of the high number of ICU admissions. But the strategy with vaccinating the elderly has worked uh, really well in Sweden. Mm. If you look uh, at Europe at the moment, Sweden is one of the, re- uh, the top countries when it comes to number of cases. But mm. you still see a lot of countries that have uh, had lower numbers of cases for a long time. They're still having really, really high death rates. A lot of countries have overtaken Sweden in terms of death. We're far behind the UK in number of deaths per population and only half the number of deaths uh, compared to Hungary and Czech Republic. On the other hand, we're way over Norway, Denmark and, and Finland, our neighboring countries. So in numbers, Sweden is a country of roughly 10 million people and it suffered 14,000 deaths since the pandemic began. Whilst the UK has a population which is about six or seven times as big, we've suffered nine times as many deaths. But we do live in more cramped conditions, with packed cities and less space. If you compare Sweden to its closest neighbours, Norway and Finland, where the lifestyle and living conditions are much more similar, then the number of deaths is much more alarming. Norway and Finland both locked down early, and until now, they've suffered less than a thousand deaths. That's one fourteenth of Sweden's total. This shop has sold over a thousand Tegnell t-shirts. All power to Tegnell, our saviour, reads this one. So why, I ask this unlikely Viking, is Sweden's infection rate lower than the UK's? The main reason is probably because UK had a very strict lockdown open up. And then everybody was scared about it. And it also happened that a few weeks, months later... If the last year has shown us anything, it's that sort of suddenly epidemiologists and virologists have become almost celebrities. They've become household names anyway. You know, people know them. But nowhere is that more true than in Sweden. Tell me a bit about Anders Tegnell and the attitude towards him. I mean, it's interesting that you say that the public has been quite polarised because everything we see here is this is an epidemiologist who's become a rock star. It is kind of interesting. He's not the rock star type. He's a typical bureaucrat. He's quite outspoken and he's very available. You know, he's doing interviews every day and he's doing press conferences very often. He sort of symbolized the whole fight against COVID-19 in in Sweden. It's not the government that are in focus, it's him. The view of him is also very, very polarized. Uh, Some people really adore him. There are Facebook groups that sort of are named we who support Anders Tegnell and the Swedish strategy. And there are, on the other hand, Facebook groups and people that really, really hate him and think he's close to responsible of murdering the Swedish people. What was the science as far as he's concerned? Because the last time we looked at Sweden on this podcast, which was quite early in the pandemic, there was talk that the science showed in Sweden, the modelling showed they were sort of just weeks away from reaching herd immunity and then the death rate and the infection rate would just drop compared to the rest of Europe and they may have a few deaths now, but it was all going to get better. What happened to the view of the science and the model and how it worked as the year progressed? The models were not really right. They expected the number of people that were infected, but not uh, the number of people that didn't take tests, but were still infected, the silent number, to be much, much, much higher than it really was. There was a talk from the agency and Mr. 
understanding all that. We'll see in the spring. I think countries, uh, our neighboring countries, will have a tougher time in the autumn because uh, of the low level of spread in these countries. They didn't at all think that that was the right approach because they thought that it'd be very hard on society to go back and forth out of lockdowns, I think. Around the time when you did the first uh, podcast about Sweden, I, I had an interview with uh, Anders Tegnell. What would we have done then? I thought that we would have landed somewhere in between. And at that time, he started to sort of realize that the Swedish approach wasn't really the right one, but it wasn't the wrong one either. He said, "Well, if I would do it again, I would do it sort of in the middle between uh, the Swedish way and others." Ja, det är väl det som vi får fundera på i framtiden om det om det hade. It was apparent from that interview that he's sort of doubting some stuff. He, he still thought it was really correct, not closing schools and so on. But I think uh, at, that he was starting to uh, think about some of the measures that maybe should have been. A little bit earlier, maybe it should have done some things differently. Up until August, Sweden had had variable and fiercely debated success. But it did look like it was starting to buck the trend. Infection rates were dropping. And even when those rates started to rise again as autumn approached, neighbouring Norway and Denmark, who'd been much more cautious, saw their rates rise quicker. But then in September what happened is they started tighten restrictions in these countries but Sweden didn't and the disease started to spread again Daniel and his colleague Maria in their recent radio investigation looked into what went wrong for Sweden last September and they found something very alarming Så att folkhälsomyndigheten i början av den andra coronavågen underdrev public health agency and especially Anders Tegnell they were very optimistic it uh, was rising very fast at 35% on a weekly basis. So this is a spread that would mean that we would reach the levels of the first wave in just less than two months. Under September October målade Folkhälsomyndigheten upp en mer So this would be cause for alarm, but that was not what we heard from the public health agency. And I think we had a at that time a golden opportunity actually to do something because the number of cases were not great so we would have said that at that time that okay now the situation is really really serious we have to do something the number of cases are going up we have to tighten everything up because what happened after that is that the number of cases just accelerated really really fast and the second wave in Sweden as many people died as in the first wave since then it's really shocking to think that there was a 35% increase week on week at that time and they were still saying it was steady and it was okay. I mean, was this finally proof that that whole model hadn't worked? Many people think that it had to do that they relied on, you know, the sense of herd immunity, but I don't think that is necessarily true. What they thought, that really thought, was that the recommendations, the steady recommendation that we had been having in place in Sweden would serve us really well in the autumn. Because we were used to these recommendations, we didn't have a lockdown before, we were, we were following them. We had put a lot of measures in place in the homes for elderly, so we were going to be able to learn by uh, the spring and not uh, getting the, the virus into the home for elderly again. But that was all a miscalculation really, because you could also see in September that people weren't following the recommendations anymore. Some people were, but they were following them less and less. When we were going 
back inside and people were getting back to work, the disease started to spread again. When people went back to work, I know that Anders Tegnell said that that is what led to figures going up. But, you know, in terms of their social behavior outside work, they were still completely compliant. How could you tell that that wasn't the case, that that wasn't what was happening? It was apparent at the time, actually. You could look at the several different studies. Uh, one is from, you know, the telecommunications company that tracks the movement of people. But you could also see one study that asked people every week since May, are you following the recommendations more or less than you did last week? Ever since the end of May, more people said, I'm following them less. I love that people were very honest in these surveys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also in the, there's a lot of people that said that they, they didn't avoid restaurants anymore like they yeah. used to do. That should have been a warning sign as well. And at that time, we weren't actually closing down at all. We were opening up. We had special recommendations in place for people over 70, and that was taken away. In many ways, we were actually relaxing the recommendations when we probably should have tightened them in the, the time when the numbers were picking up quite fast before, you know, we had this really serious second wave. The streets of Sweden's capital are quiet. A second wave of COVID is sweeping through Stockholm. It didn't escape, as authorities predicted it would. And now Sweden is marching to different orders. From afar, it looks like there were sort of various problems with this model. It assumed that far more people had asymptomatically had the virus already, which wasn't true. It didn't realise that so many Swedes would have travelled. Also, I guess it didn't factor in the idea that there would be variants. So, you know, it thought you'd get to herd immunity and it didn't realise that you could get the variant from South Africa or Brazil and the virus would go through the population all over again. But I think what's really interesting is the way it assumed Swedish people would act. And that's where a lot of this seems to have fallen down. I mean, who do you think is to blame here? Is, is it the Swedish people who sort of clearly took the advice too lightly? Or is it the epidemiologists who sort of assumed, and even when they realised the figures, you know, people weren't complying as much, pretended that they were? Well, I don't, I don't know exactly who is to blame. I interviewed Anders Tegnell extensively on this topic, and uh, he, he said an interesting point uh, when I asked him if he was, you know why he didn't say that the situation was super serious and, you know, the numbers were going up really fast and people were not following recommendations. He said that if I would say that nothing is working at a time when numbers are quite low, well, people are going to think that what we do, you know, because a lot of people were actually following recommendations still. The people that were following the recommendation would think, all this work I'm doing, all these sacrifices I'm doing, it's for nothing. That is sort of his explanation. And you can actually see that through, through the rise in numbers in, in September, not only with you know, the cases going up, but when they actually realized the cases were going up quite fast. You could see that uh, he said that, well, the ICU numbers are not going up that fast, even when they were starting to pick up. And then they saw that the ICU numbers were actually picking up. He said that, well, the cases at the homes for elderly are not picking up so fast when they were actually picking up really fast. And then when they saw that even the cases at the homes for elderly were picking up, he said that, well, the number of deaths hasn't picked up. People are not dying 
like in a much faster pace. But that really had to do with it takes time between people getting infected and when they die. And it also takes like two weeks until it's registered. Yeah, there's a lag. If you looked at, you know, the time when he was saying that people are not dying in higher numbers, they were actually dying in higher numbers. It's just not in the statistic yet. How did people in Sweden react to the revelations in Daniel's investigation? And given the questions that were being asked of the Swedish model, should Boris Johnson's government have sought out Anders Tegnell to advise the UK on its second wave? We'll have more in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. When Daniel and his colleague Maria's investigation was published, people in Sweden could see that the public health agencies had deliberately underplayed the risk of a second wave and had claimed public compliance was high, even though all the data showed otherwise. So how did the Swedes react to these revelations? After we did this investigation where we revealed that they were saying that the number of cases weren't rising as fast as the statistics said, I wrote a tweet about that saying that half the reactions would be great, great investigations, finally. Half the rest of reactions would be That was the worst investigation I've ever heard. How could you do this? Crap journalism. And on the third hand, you know, good investigation, but you should have done it already in the spring. You sort of, you probably prevented from doing that by some conspiracy. You know, you have the whole spectrum. (laughs) 
I mean, that sounds a lot like here, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a Swede, does it feel like the government and the, the scientists were almost, you know, were lying to you? We're very selectively showing you the truth. I wouldn't say that they are lying because that would imply that they actually knew that this is going the wrong way and they would say that you're deliberately telling lies to the people. I have no proof of that, actually. What you could say and what experts would argue is that they were not really presenting the correct picture at all times. They were not lying necessarily, but being over-optimistic. If they had said things are getting more serious, you need to stick to the rules, do you think that would have had an effect on Swedish people? Do you think they would have changed their behaviour? I don't know. But if you talk to experts uh, on this, they say that signal value of saying things like that is very, very real, because especially in a country where you are very dependent on people following recommendations, you sort of rely on people realizing it's serious. And it's, of course, much harder to get people to realize that something is serious when not too many people, they don't see so many people dying outside. You, you couldn't e either look out and say that, you know, lockdowns were the right approach and the Swedish approach was the wrong one. Well, you can say that the Swedish approach wasn't the right one. There are people that fared a lot better. Our public health agency maybe didn't believe that it was possible to control the epidemic in the way that they actually have in some countries like uh, Norway, like Finland, like New Zealand, where they actually uh, were able to keep the number of infections very low, and they will probably manage to have a very mild pandemic mm. because of the vaccinations coming up. Well, number 10 Downing Street has confirmed that you spoke to the Prime Minister by Zoom on Sunday with other experts. What did you tell him? Uh, no, I'm not going to comment anymore on that. Back in September, around the time when you've described Anders Tegnell telling Sweden that things were relatively stable, things were slowly and cautiously sort of developing, even though you as journalists could see that it was much worse than he was, he was letting on. He was also advising the government here in the UK. We know he was having meetings in Downing Street. He was advising the Prime Minister on whether we should be going into a second lockdown. Do you think for us, having lived through everything you have in Sweden over the last year, you know, is that advice we should be following? He got a lot of questions about this consultations with the British government. He didn't reply to single questions about that. He said, I'm not going to answer questions of what I said to the prime minister or anyone in public office in UK. But given the fact that uh, I think that different governments should listen to different experts, I think that is the key point. So even if you think that a lockdown is the right way, you should actually listen to the experts that says lockdown is not uh, the right way. If, if you think that a lockdown is the wrong way. You should talk to a lot of people that can make the point that a lockdown is the right way. But always, according to all the experts I've talked to, reacting sooner rather than later is always better. When you have a large number of cases, it takes time to turn this. Yeah. And it's better to turn it around when the number of cases is low. We last made a podcast on Sweden a year ago. You can listen back to it if you like. We've added a link to the description of this episode. Back then, Anders Tegnell was a cult hero in the country, and the Swedish people were broadly proud of their approach to COVID restrictions. Now, 12 months on, what does Swedish public opinion say about their handling of the virus? Maybe if I could speculate, I think a lot of people would have expected Sweden to come out even 
better. We're used to, you know, being top of the class when it comes to health issues. We're used to being as good as our neighbors, almost always, but often better. And I think it really hurts a lot of us to think that, why did they succeed so much better in, in uh, Norway, Finland, Denmark? Uh, on the other hand, you have a lot of people saying, well, look at the rest of Europe. It didn't turn out as bad as there, and we were probably unlucky. It probably wasn't uh, the agency's fault or the government's fault. It's just a very hard disease to understand. But basically, at the moment, I think that most people are actually you know, focused on when will, it, will I get this shot of vaccine so I can get back to, to life again. I know my parents had got their first shot and they are really looking forward to summer now and being able to meet their grandkids properly. I just got a kid, so yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. And in Sweden, there is that sense of it's the end of the long winter. Everybody wants to be out again. And I think also it's um, people are looking a bit envious at some countries where they are sort of opening up when, you know, uh, in other countries they are, oh, we're preparing to open up. We see a lot of news reports about British people going out, having a pint for the first time. And at the same time, we are hearing that, oh, we have to keep our restrictions longer, more and more close to a sort of a lockdown situation in Sweden now when, when many countries are opening up. In a way, has this made you reconsider the the Swedish national character? Because we sort of thought, as the model did, that Swedes weren't really rule breakers. If if they were told something was sensible, they they would do it. They wouldn't need it to be a law because they just tend to comply. That doesn't seem to be happening. It sort of changed my view maybe and a lot of people's view in Sweden being such a homogenous country where most people do things the same way you realize that some people are going to follow the rules and some people are going to break the rules some people are not going to be aware of the rules the discussion is also more polarized as in many other countries where you see some people hating the authorities and some people loving them And I think it's going to be a lesson from the people in power, in government and in agencies that they cannot expect people to do stuff in you know, a special Swedish way. They, everyone will behave differently and they, they can't expect us to do like we used to do. And just because we followed recommendations in the spring, it doesn't mean that we are going to follow the recommendations in the autumn. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Daniel Lohman, an investigative journalist for Sweden's public radio station. The producer today was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If there's a story that you'd like us to look into, any ideas for future episodes, or if you have any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do get in touch. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. 
In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 